You're good. Good morning, everybody. I like suggestions. Suggestions are, we had a rule when I was at, when we were over at Greenridge, and my mom was the children's pastor there, we would all meet, and uh, her, her children's leadership would meet, like, once or twice a year, and you just had an idea session, and any idea could be put on the table. Now, we ended up using, like, 2% of the ideas that were given, but usually those ideas sprung out of other ideas. Like, you'd give an idea, and you go, well, that's part of it won't work, but what if we did this. So I always like ideas because I can't come up with all of them on my own. Uh, so even if we have to morph them and stuff like that, I like them. So we're going to continue on in Ephesians chapter 5 now today. Ephesians chapter 5. Um, we're really going to get into the crux of Ephesians here. These last two chapters, we're going to be dealing with a lot of issues, if you will. A lot of, not issues, a lot of hard truths. Uh, Paul spends the first two-thirds or so of, the, of his letter uh, doing a lot of building up, doing a lot of basic theological explanations and stuff like that. Uh, and then he spends the latter third uh, really just hitting you over the head and making you feel like a horrible person uh, in a lot of ways. Um, no, pointing out how we're supposed to live. And there are some hard truths, some truths that do not go along with established culture. They didn't then, they don't now, and they won't until we're in heaven. The good thing is God never calls us to be part of the culture. He calls us to be part of his culture. So today is not quite as, as harsh as, as some of the things we're going to get into in the coming uh, weeks and, and months and such, but uh, it does have its things we don't like to hear, if you will. So today we're calling this one, uh, What Does Your Life Smell Like? My mom didn't like the title of this sermon. Every week I send her and my dad the title and the passage so that mom can put it in the bulletin and so that dad, when he does the, the podcast, I almost said PowerPoint, that wasn't it. The podcast has the title and, and thing right there. And mom goes, well, that's a weird title. And I said, but we're going to talk about the aroma of your life. I thought it was kind of clever, but Apparently not. Here's the thing, right? We all have scents that we like. For instance, my dad loves pine-scented things. Pine trees, pine candles, the Christmas tree, all that kind of stuff. I don't particularly like it. I like wood-scented things. Sandalwood, cedarwood. My sister makes us candles every year for Christmas, and she always makes me one called Christmas Hearth. And it's got a bunch of different notes in it, but one of them is uh, like a, a burning fireplace, right? I love the smell of campfires. Uh, I love the smell of fresh mown grass. Anybody here with me on this? I love the smell of gasoline. I don't understand it. I'm not saying you should take off the cap of your gas thing and just, that's not good. No, but when I'm pumping gas, I'm like, that's a good smell. I don't know. I don't like the smell of like sugary things necessarily. Like in candles, now I love sugar, but like a sugar cookie scented candle, not my scene, not my thing. Which stinks because I love Christmas so much, but all the Christmas scented candles are like Christmas tree, which is pine. Sugar cookie. No, I don't want that. I don't like the smell of cinnamon, and they're like fresh cinnamon bun in the morning, and I'm like, no. Not my favorite scents, but we all have scents we like and scents that we don't like, right? And here's the thing, your life gives off a scent. Is it one that God likes or is it one that he doesn't like? Let's read. We're in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 5. Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. 
It reads, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must, must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let's dive into it. Number one on your note sheets there, imitate God. Imitate God. That seems like a... Uh, a request that's just about impossible, doesn't it? The request of Paul in other letters where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, just seems a bit more doable. At least Paul made mistakes in life, right? But right here, Paul says, no, 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 be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, I'm not here to tell you you're going to be perfect. You're not going to be. In fact, I'll tell you, you will not be perfect. But you're supposed to keep walking at it, keep being this. And then he says, and walk in love. Walk in love. That is how you be an imitator of God. We might say, well, you need to be holy and righteous, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And we could make this whole list of things. You can sum them all up by saying, walk in love. Because if you love somebody, you're not going to wrong them. If you love somebody, you're not going to sin against them. Now. I understand that we're human again, right? And so we're not perfect. But if you're showing love to people, you're going to be walking and imitating God. And he says, this was the ultimate, right? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Christ offers himself up as this fragrant aroma. That is what walking in love looks like. You give yourself up. It's no longer about you. Nothing is about you. It is all about everyone else. Every time. Now you might say, well, I might get tired. I get that. Even Christ had to take a moment, right? He would go off and be by himself sometimes. I'm not saying to just completely empty yourself at all times. That's a recipe for disaster. What I'm saying, though, is when it comes down between you and somebody else, you pick somebody else. You show love to them. You give yourself up for them. And here's the thing. It just says you. It does not say your brothers and sisters in Christ. It does not say only the Jews. It's everybody. It's everybody. So here's how your life is a fragrant aroma. Because he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, all right, walk in love. Figure it out. Paul's nice like that. Sometimes. Sometimes he says things and he just leaves it there. And I'm like, Paul. Little more explanation, please. Read through Romans. He does it all over the place. In this, though, he continues on. So we're supposed to be imitators of God. Number three, or number two, excuse me. Number two here, the big three. The big three. Now, this translation of scripture that I read from, it just says um, immorality. In most other translations, it puts the word sexual in front of it because the Greek term here refers to sexual immorality, Okay. So let's talk about that one first. Sexual immorality. Now I know I numbered those underneath there on your note sheets, one through four. I'm going to go a little bit out of order there because after I had already printed it out and printed out everything and then I practiced the sermon, rehearsed it a few times, I went, I don't like that order. But they stayed because I wasn't going to waste the paper and ink to reprint out everything. So 
I want to talk about the fact that it is one of the most, if not the most, pervasive sins there is. Look around you. Sex is everywhere. The old adage, sex sells, is entirely true. I think about sometimes, not think about, right? I don't want you to be like, wow, the pastor's sitting there thinking about these things. No, no. But how many of you have ever seen a commercial for Hardee's or Carl's Jr.? Most of their commercials involve this. A very large, juicy hamburger with all kinds of ketchup and stuff like that and melty cheese. If you've ever been there, you know it's nothing like that. It's akin to a McDonald's hamburger. It's a fast food hamburger. It's not bad, but you could make it way better at home. And usually the person holding and eating this hamburger is a very well-endowed, bikini-clad young woman. Why? Because sex sells. That's the nature of it. We see it in our music. We see it in our TV shows, in our movies, in our comics, in every aspect of life, on our bulletin boards. Everywhere you look, sex is there. It's just there. I don't have a TikTok, but I do have an Instagram. And Instagram has a thing called Reels, which is just the people that make TikToks then post them on Instagram. Okay? So I watched some of them. I enjoy it. Some of them I find very, very funny. But it has also opened my eyes to some music that is horrifying, the words that are in it. And I go, who would write this down and then go perform it somewhere? I won't say them to you because I can't bring myself to say some of the words that are in them. And I go, that's what our kids are listening to. That's what our adults are listening to. And then I think about our TV shows and stuff like that. I had a... Um, a friend when I was in high school, which I'm guessing most of you have heard, game, have heard of Game of Thrones. I'm going to assume that since you're Christians, you've never watched any of it. But I had a friend when I was in high school, and I knew nothing about Game of Thrones. And he was like, Sam, you've got to watch this show. It's great. And I was like, all right. So I went home, and I watched the first episode. And I went to school the next day, and he goes, what did you think? And I said, man, the story was incredible. I am so intrigued to see what happens next. I'll just never know. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, it's pornography with a story. I can't watch that. But that's what our TV is like. Now, not your cable channels, because there are still rules for that. But your HBO and stuff like that, that's what it is. I'm a huge fan of comics. And uh, you have to be very careful with comics because comic illustrators know who their number one demographic is. It is boys between the ages of about 10 and 25. So you got to be really careful what comics you pick up and read. It's everywhere you look. You can't get away from it. Sadly, if you guys have smartphones, your smartphones will probably start showing you all kinds of ads for things because it's hearing me talk about it. I apologize in advance. But here's the thing it also says. You're supposed to flee from it. That's in 1 Corinthians 6.18, right? As well as in James. It is the only sin in Scripture that you are told to flee from. Every other one you're supposed to stand and fight against. But God says, no, no, flee sexual immorality. Don't try it. Don't try to draw the line in the sand. Get as far away from the line as you possibly can. Why? Because God knew we would fail miserably at it. Of all of the sins, sexual immorality is the one we fail the most at. And then he continues on in various places in 1 Corinthians, and he says, why is this such a horrible sin? Because it is not just a sin against somebody else. It is not just a sin against God. It is a sin against your own body. It is a sin against you. 
as well. It destroys everything that it touches, including you. And then here's the, not the scary thing, if you will, but a, a thing that we don't like to think about, right? Later in 1 Corinthians chapter, or earlier I should say, in chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, he says, listen, don't associate with a brother or sister who is in the sin of sexual immorality. I don't mean somebody that committed the sin once, you know, and is struggling against it. Paul is talking about don't associate with a brother or sister who just lives in this sin. He says don't do it. Why? Because you won't pull somebody out of it. They pull you down into it. That's what happens. Now, this does not mean that you're supposed to ostracize them. This does not mean you're supposed to kick them out. This does not mean any of that. What it means is they shouldn't be the ones serving on your board. They shouldn't be the ones making the decisions. They shouldn't be the ones that you look to for wisdom and guidance because they haven't gotten their own major area in life under control. It doesn't mean that they're not saved either. I want to point that out. But God says flee from the sin and it means included in your friends and family that have it in them. Flee from it. Now when people start fighting it and struggling against it, we talked about that uh, last week, right? When struggling against sin means you're actually struggling against it. That's a good thing. Then you help them. Then you say, yes, we will, we're going to do our best to help you and pray for you and, dra- and help pull you out of this. But the, this is talking about the type of person that just goes, yeah, whatever. I'm in it and I'm not going to come out of it. I don't want to come out of it. That's what it's talking about there. So sexual immorality. And then impurity. Impurity is oftentimes roped in with sexual immorality. Here's the thing. Sexual immorality is one type of impurity. Impurity covers a wider range of sins. To be impure means to be defiled. And in the Old Testament, there were uh, uh, many uh, rituals and sacrifices you had to do in order to become pure again if you had been made impure or defiled, right? Now, granted, and, good, and, the, and the nice thing is, the good thing is that in, in New Testament times, which we live in, we don't have to worry about that as much. We have Christ who was sacrificed for us so that when we are impure, we can be made pure by accepting him. But this impurity, it just means to be defiled and it encompasses a bunch of sins. So here's what Paul did. He says, I'm going to name the one that everybody struggles with the most. And then I'm just going to broaden the horizons and say, don't be impure as well. He'll do that later in scripture, uh, uh, later when he's talking about what can separate us from the love of God. He's names like four or five different things. And then he goes, or anything else in all of creation. He's like, I'm tired of making the list, everything else. It's pretty much what he does here. I'm going to handle the biggest one. Then I'm just going to say everything else as well. Then he moves down to greed. And he says later there, down in verse 5, uh, or a covetous man or a greedy man, who is an idolater. And I said, idolatry and greed, the same sin? What? They are. Here's why. If you are greedy, you are putting something above God. What is putting something above God? Idolatry. They end at the same point, right? If you're greedy for money, and we always think of greed as just money, it's not, but we'll use it as that one because that's the biggest one that we think of. If you're greedy for money, that means you are putting wealth and the acclimation of wealth higher than God. And he says you're an idolater, idolater, excuse me, if you're a greedy person. We all have our idols in life, right? We all do. It could be sports, it could be music, uh, movies, reading, right? It doesn't have to be bad things, right? 
And none of those things are bad things. It could be bad things. You could idolize drinking and you're just a drunkard all the time. You could idolize sex. That's called sexual immorality, right? You can idolize these different things. They don't have to be bad to be an idol. They become an idol when you put them above God. Here's the thing, church. Church can be an idol. This building can be an idol if you put it above God. If you put the church service above God as more important than God, it's an idol. If you say, well, the Holy Spirit's kind of saying we should do this, but we don't do that because we do it this way, that's now your idol doing it the traditional way. We like to call it legalism or traditionalism. We like to give it fancy names so we don't feel as bad about it. Let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. And I'm not saying that there aren't do's and don'ts. We just talked about some last week. But when the list of do's and don'ts becomes more important than God and the relationship with him, then it's become an an idol. So he warns against these three and by proxy four different things. And then he says, but instead of this, there, uh, I'm in verse 4 now. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Church, it matters what comes out of your mouth. Your words matter. We spent probably 15 minutes last week talking about our words and our, in, our, in our letters, right? What we type as well. So I'm not going to spend nearly as much time on it today as I did last week. But it's important to point out that what you say matters. And he says, listen, no foolish or chorus talk or silly talk. This is talk that is full of innuendo or double meaning. Saying something but meaning something else. Throw it out. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Church, sometimes it's better just to say nothing at all. Let me revise that. Most of the time, it's better just to say nothing at all. Sometimes words have to be said. I'm not, I'm not denying that fact. But if you can't say something and be giving thanks, then you shouldn't be doing it. Let me give an example of the importance of the words that come out of our mouth, right? In the church, and I'm talking about the Christian church as a whole, right? We love to disguise gossip as we should pray for you. We love to have our prayer meetings and somebody sits down and goes, oh, did you hear about Jill's daughter, Jen? She was at the bar last night for four hours. It was the third time this week. Mm, we need to pray for her. Yes, we do. But all you've done is just gossip about Jen. You don't care about her. You care about making sure everyone knows that you're in the know. Versus, hey, Jill came to me and told me that her daughter's really struggling and asked us to pray for her. We need to do that. The difference in the heart behind it. The words matter, and the difference in the heart behind it matters. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Watch what your words say. Watch what you say. And then he gives in the very ending of verse 5, and we're just about done here, the very ending of verse 5, the scariest thing that you can read. For those types of people, and he names them off again, will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Is Paul here trying to say that you can lose your salvation after having previously said early in this letter that it's your salvation is preserved? Do you have, if you are saved, you are saved. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that if you are a person who willfully walks in these types of sins, not struggles against them, but willfully walks as sexually immoral or impure or greedy, idolatrous, 
readily just lets whatever you want comes out of your mouth, right? If he's saying, if you don't struggle against those things, and that's the type of life you live without trying to rely on God to help you fix it and walk through it, were you ever actually saved? You see, Satan has convinced Christians through a millennia, right? Two millennia, because a millennia is a thousand years, so two millennia, that they're saved when they're not. Hell has an incredible amount of souls who thought they had done it. But they grew up in church. They knew all the answers. So, yeah, they were saved. Or they told themselves long enough that they're going to believe this lie. They lied long enough that they began to believe the lie. That happens. You see, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how long you've told yourself you're a Christian. What matters is... Did you ever accept Christ? It doesn't matter what prayer you prayed, right? We do that because it's easier. But you could pray the sinner's prayer and not be saved if your heart doesn't say, I want a Savior, and I need a Savior, and it's Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, if you willfully walk in these types of things, your heart never cried out for a Savior. It never did. Because if you're going to follow God, if you're going to walk in that way, right? We talked about last week how you do these do's and don'ts because you have the relationship with God. And if you had that relationship, you wouldn't willfully walk in these things. I don't mean you'll never sin. I mean you won't walk and go, well, whatever. It's all good. It doesn't matter. It can even extend so far as, oh, I sinned. Well, God forgives me for that. And just keep going. No, no, you should still feel the weight of what you've done. You were forgiven. You are forgiven. You should still feel the weight that you did something wrong, that you grieved, as we read last week, grieved the Holy Spirit. I knew that my parents would forgive me when I did things. It didn't mean that I didn't feel shame when I had to go and tell them or when they come and came and told me that I had done them. You should still feel that for a moment. You shouldn't live in that but you should still feel that guilt, that shame for just a moment because you did do something wrong and then he washes it away. Church, this morning, and I'm going to end with this. If you can willfully walk, now he names those sins there, but if you can willfully walk in any sin and not give a rat's behind about it, you need to reevaluate your relationship with the Father because I would wager you don't have one. And that's a hard thing to hear. The Bible's full of them. And it's my job to say them. If you struggle against sin, good. If you don't struggle and you just let it be, not good. Would you pray with me? Father, we hear, you know, the Bible is full of uplifting things. And today we don't get quite as an uplifting message. But it's a true message nonetheless. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would continue to help us struggle against sin, that we would overcome it, but that we would not just allow it to live in our lives. Help us to walk in love and be imitators of you, recognizing that we're not perfect, recognizing that we're going to fail, but going, I'm going to be as Christ-like as I possibly can until the moment when I go home and I'll be made completely Christ-like, holy and righteous. Not God, but holy and righteous. Father, I pray that if anybody here in this building or listening has that life where they just walk in sin and they don't care, that you would work in their hearts, that you would dive in and change the situation. 
Father, I praise you that we do still feel that guilt and shame just for a moment, that we did mess up, that we did sin. But I also praise you that you wash it away, that you say, no, no, son, I've forgiven you. It's washed away. We praise you, Father, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.